Today's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 20, starting at verse 1, and you can find that on page 14 of the Church Bibles. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did these things? Abraham said, I did it because I thought, There is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, and male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you, dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife.
Thanks, Laura. Um, if you have a Bible, and if you want to keep that open in front of you, and we'll look at it together. Um, I realized that the Bibles didn't quite make it out this morning, so if anybody needs to grab one, please don't hesitate to do so. Very welcome to do that if you'd like to follow along. Um, uh, let's pray and ask for God's help as, as we look at this passage together. Our Father, we thank you uh, so much for the blessing it is to be able to gather here uh, this morning, and we pray that as we do, that your Spirit would uh, be at work in our midst as we as we look at your word, um, Lord God, you have uh, good things to to speak into our hearts today, and so we pray that uh, uh, as we as we spend time now, that you would uh, convict us and challenge us where we need to be convicted and challenged. That you would encourage and enlighten us where uh, we need to be encouraged and enlightened, and that in all of it, you would lift our eyes to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, well, if you've updated your uh, CV uh, lately, or if you've ever created a profile on LinkedIn, then you'll know that w uh, in a competitive work environment, you need to present yourself in the best possible light to make yourself appealing to any potential employers. Uh, uh, the more attractive the job, the, the higher the position, uh, the, the greater the requirements on, on someone's qualifications or experience. Uh, to run a major company or uh, to lead an organization is normally reserved for those who have demonstrated a long track record of success and experience. But what about when it comes to the people that God chooses to work through? Do the same criteria apply? Now, over the last few months, we've been studying the life of Abraham and we've seen how God chose him to be the father of a nation, that God called him and, and made extraordinary promises to him. He entered into a covenant with, with Abraham, and he promised to bless him with a land and a people. He promised to be a blessing to Abraham and his descendants, and he promised that Abraham and his descendants would in turn be a blessing to the nations around them. And you'd think that that for God to make such incredible promises to him, Abraham must have had a pretty amazing CV, a lifetime of experience in leadership, a long track record of faithfulness to God, a life of exemplary character. Uh, well, over the course of our study of Abraham's life, we've seen that actually uh, the reality was quite different. When God called him, Abraham was living as a pagan moon worshiper. Uh, he didn't know the God of the Bible. He'd been caught up in some pretty dark stuff, along with pagan moon worship often went human sacrifice. And yet God called him out of all that to follow him. Uh, and after an initially great start where, where Abraham faithfully obeyed God's call, very quickly, he had a major stumble. We, uh, if you remember way back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, we saw how after he'd responded to God's call, he ended up in Egypt handing his wife Sarah over to Pharaoh to be a part of his harem. Things could have ended in disaster, but God delivered Abraham and Sarah from Egypt. And really from then on, with the exception of a few bad choices along the way, things have been going pretty well for Abraham. 
We saw his generosity towards his nephew Lot, offering him the best of the land. We've seen uh, that epic rescue of Lot where he, he went in uh, Liam Neeson style to deliver him from a group of tribal kings. We've seen how he welcomed God and his angels and offered them hospitality and, and he trusted God's promise of a son. And we've seen his prayers for Lot amidst the destruction of Sodom. Now, those are all great things to put on a CV of a biblical superhero. But then we get to chapter 20, and an old sin rears its ugly head again. It's there in the opening verse. If you look with me there at, at verse 1, from there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. It said, said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, for the, the observant, if you were to, to compare uh, the incident in Egypt in Genesis chapter 12, that mention of the Negeb is very significant because just before the car crash in Egypt, there's a reference to Abraham heading towards the Negeb. And here again, that alarm bell goes on that something bad's about to happen. Abraham ends up repeating the very same sin that he had committed years before in Egypt. And given how badly that went for him, it's hard to fathom that he would do the very same thing again. And it ought to leave us asking, what, what does God do when his people mess up in a major way? When they go back to old sinful habits. Is there grace for old sinners who should know better? Uh, well, let's take a look and see. Now, Sarah was 99 by this point, uh, but evidently, if you allow for a, a slower aging process back then, she was still uh, very desirable. And so, as a result of Abraham's deception, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, took her as his wife. Now, if you've been with us as we've been going through this study, you'll know that, that not long before this incident, God had visited Abraham and Sarah and had told them that within a year, Sarah would give birth to a son, Isaac. And yet, despite that promise, Abraham was willing to put that plan in jeopardy by passing Sarah off as his sister and handing him over to another man, handing her over to another man. But despite Abraham's deception, God mercifully intervened to ensure that nothing would interfere with his plan. If we read there verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, that is not the kind of dream that you want to be having. God visiting you in the night to tell you that you are a dead man walking. Uh, and Abimelech, he was quick to protest his innocence, verse 4. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. So Abimelech 
had been lied to by both Abraham and Sarah. And he's quick to point out that he hadn't touched Sarah, that he would never have taken her as a wife if he had known the truth. Now, the impression that we have of Abimelech in this chapter is of a man of integrity, someone who wanted to do the right thing, the kind of guy that you would think would be an ideal candidate for God to work through. And in God's response, we see the extent of his sovereign grace in this situation. In ignorance, Abimelech could easily have slept with Sarah, but God kept that from happening. Verse 6, then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So God protected Sarah he protected Abimelech, and he protected Abraham from doing anything that would have led to disaster. And then he gives Abimelech the opportunity to make things right. Verse 7, now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. In the darkness of his nightmare, God gives Abimelech light. He promises him life if he returns Sarah. And he warns him of the certainty of death for him and all who are his if he doesn't. And we were thinking about this the other week, that, that while we might be tempted to think of God's judgment as harsh, that actually it's a loving thing for God to, to warn people of where disobedience to him will lead. Sometimes people think that, that expressing God's love for people is simply about affirming them as they are. But part of expressing true love, of expressing God's love, is in warning people of the danger of disobedience. And that's exactly what God does here in these verses. His warning of danger is evidence of his love, of his grace. And Abimelech, he didn't need to be told twice. We read verse 8, so, so Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. This pagan king was quick to obey God's command and to warn his people, who were rightly afraid of the prospect of God's judgment and who acted accordingly. Even though they weren't part of God's covenant people, they recognized that what their king had experienced, what he had heard, was to be believed. And then Abimelech calls Abraham God's chosen instrument of blessing. This guy who, who, who was meant to exemplify faith and obedience to the nations, and this pagan king who was meant to be blessed by Abraham, he rightly delivers a stinging rebuke. Verse 9, then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. See, Abraham's lies, they hadn't just endangered Abimelech, they'd endangered his whole kingdom. 
Instead of blessing these people, Abraham had nearly brought the curse of judgment upon them. By his actions, he had done the very opposite of what he was called to do. And the echo of Pharaoh's rebuke decades before for the very same sin would have rung loud and clear in Abraham's ears. And then Abimelech asks Abraham, verse 10, what did you see that you did this thing? And it's a great question that. Abraham had lied. And Abimelech, he wanted to know why. I wonder, is that a question that you have ever asked yourself? Or a question that you've asked of others? Why do we sin? What is the underlying heart issue that leads to us acting in certain ways? Specifically, in this case, lying. What is it about us that causes us to think that lying about a situation or being economical with the truth is ever justifiable? I mean, that's kind of what Abraham was doing. We learn later in this chapter that, yeah, Sarah was, in fact, Abraham's half-sister. So, in a sense, there was an element of truth to what he said, but by being economical with the truth, by not giving the full picture, he was guilty of lying. What was the justification in Abraham's mind for returning to the same old sin? Well, we don't have to guess because we have Abraham's answer in the passage. Look with me at verse 11. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. So, the reason that Abraham lied is clear. His lie was based on fear. That was the underlying heart issue that exposed itself in lies. He was afraid. He was afraid that if he was honest, then these people would kill him. And his fear arose from two factors. First of all, his fear was based on a mistaken assumption about Abimelech and his people. He assumed they had no fear of God. But everything in this passage points to how wrong that assumption was. The way Abraham acted it actually had nothing to do with Abimelech. It had everything to do with Abraham. Abimelech had done nothing wrong. There was nothing in his actions or character that merited Abraham's deception. This whole situation had everything to do with Abraham, his perception rather than the reality. Years before, he'd experienced a hostile leader in Pharaoh, and so he was primed to assume the worst of Abimelech, another foreign king, with no actual evidence. And that fear of man was driven not just by past experience, but also, and more significantly, uh, the second thing that he failed to keep in mind, a failure to keep sight of God. Despite God clearly promising him that he would be given a son within a year, despite all that God had already done, he didn't trust God to protect him. 
His faith wavered, and he gave in to fear. Abraham misjudged Abimelech, and he lost sight of God, and that is why he lied. I wonder, are you someone who is fearful of others? Are you fearful of what they think of you? And do you project those fears onto people? Do you assume that that they will think the, the worst of you if they only knew the truth about you? Maybe that's because you know what it's like to to experience rejection. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of harsh criticism. Maybe past experience has shaped the way that you portray yourself. It's very easy for our identity to be bound up in our achievements, in our performance. After all, so much Uh, in our lives, uh, uh, so much of the time we are judged by the quality of our CV. Our identity is bound up in the approval or the lack of approval from others. And so out of fear, we lie. But at the root of that fear of man is a failure to have a reverential fear of God, a failure to recognize what it means to belong to Him. Abraham had lost sight of his status as God's chosen one. He'd lost sight of the the blessings that God had showered on him, the promises that He had made to him, promises that He would never renege on. And because he lost sight of who he was, He acted in fear instead of in faith. His lies arose ultimately from a failure to trust God. But in that moment of confession, before Abimelech and his people, we see a real vulnerability in Abraham. And I think that in this moment, in so many ways, is a profound moment of change in Abraham's life. From here... There's a radical difference in his faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but I find that confession incredibly reassuring. That this man, our father in the faith, the one through whom God chose to bless the world, he wasn't superhuman. He was flawed. He had weaknesses. He was fearful. And he didn't always get it right. And yet God in his grace still worked powerfully through him. In the remainder of this passage, we see how in response to Abraham's confession, Abimelech, he showers Abraham and Sarah with all manner of riches. He invites them to to dwell in the land. It's a contrast to Pharaoh who said, get out of Egypt right now. And then we read verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So despite his deception, despite his failure to trust God, despite falling back into old sins, God wasn't finished with Abraham. 
even though uh, Abimelech comes across as far more righteous than Abraham in this passage, even though he seemed to be the one with all the character qualities that you would expect to see in a leader, it was Abraham, with all his weakness, with all his failings, who was God's righteous one. Not because of his, clearly not because of his uh, moral fiber, but because of God's grace. God had, had, had chosen him. And it was Abraham who needed to pray for Abimelech's protection. Isn't that interesting? You know, being an all-round good guy wasn't enough to make Abimelech acceptable to God. He needed the prayers of God's righteous one to avert God's judgment. Abraham was the one through whom God chose to bless the nations. And that's exactly what he does here. As Abraham prayed for Abimelech and his people, God's judgment was replaced by blessing on Abimelech and on all who dwelt in his house, including his wife and his female servants. God was not finished with Abraham. Far from it. From here on in the Abraham story, we see a, a growing faithfulness in him where this fear of man gives way to a deep trust in God and his promises. The painful humiliation of Genesis 20 and the grace of God so clearly displayed, it no doubt had a profound impact on his life. And as the family is restored, the way is opened for the promised son, Isaac, to be born. God overruled in a dire situation. He was gracious in spite of Abraham's sin, and his great plan of salvation continued to unfold. And it's because God was faithful in spite of Abraham's faithlessness that we can know what it is to be counted righteous like Abraham, not because we always do the right thing, not because we are never driven by fear, not because we never lack faith, but because of the one who came from the line of Abraham, the only truly righteous one, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Like Abimelech, it's not our, our good works that, that make us acceptable to God. It doesn't matter how good we are. What we need is God's truly righteous one to speak on our behalf. And that's what Jesus has done. In Jesus, we have a Savior who lived a life of perfect obedience to his heavenly Father and yet willingly laid down that life for his people so that anyone who trusts in him can know that our lies, our failures, our fears are not the end of our story that God in Christ restores and redeems. And he chooses to work through flawed and sinful people to bless those around us. And it says we dwell on the grace that we've received, that we can be gracious towards one another, that as God's people we can live lives that are characterized by by patience and kindness and generosity and a love that, that covers over a multitude of sins. That as we forgive one another, 
The world gets to see what a life of blessing looks like. And as they do, they are drawn to know the one who first forgave us, the truly righteous one, Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our standing before you is is not based on our performance. It's not based in always getting it right. It is based in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, the story of the Bible is the story of grace. Your grace on, on Abraham, a, a flawed and, and sinful man in so many ways, and yet, as he had faith in your promises to him, that faith was credited to him as righteousness, that, that he could look forward to the day uh, when his sins were paid for at the cross. As we look back to the day that that was done for us in the Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that today uh, we can walk in faithfulness, uh, uh, we can look to you, and we pray, Lord God, that by your Spirit, you would lift our eyes to see you, that you would remind us of your grace and your faithfulness in our lives, uh, and that, that that would shape uh, the way in which we love and care for one another here. Lord, as we come to this table now to take bread and wine, we pray that you would uh, strengthen us by your Spirit as you remind us afresh of all that Jesus has done for us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.